Hi, good morning. My name is Alexandra Rush. I am the founder and CEO of Kaban Systems. You put more equipment on the site, it doesn't matter how efficient it is, it still is going to require power. I'm Catherine Speglia, and this is Well Technically, the tech podcast where women do the explaining. Hi, Alexandra. So nice to have you here. Yeah. Hi. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Catherine. I've heard of network as a service and firewall as a service and infrastructure as a service, but now you're telling me that there's energy as a service, which I have not really heard of. So I'm looking forward to kind of delving deeper into that. But of course, before we do that, I have to ask you, what is an example of a time in which being a woman has empowered you? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I think in general, I have never really contemplated gender as being a big, a big component to what I do. Mm-hmm. I have, I've always had the approach and the consciousness of being prepared, um, whether that's through more research, whether that's harder work, whether that's being more assertive, whatever it may be, I have always thought that being well prepared and uh, being yourself um, and also being not fearing what the outcome is if you're completely authentic and if you're telling the truth. And so I've never really thought about gender as playing a big role. Um, and the industry has also taught me that it's also not a, not a problem to be a woman and to be not only a woman, but to be a minority and to be uh, pretty young in, in age for, for the industry. That being said, there have been a couple of instances where I think it has helped being a woman and, and feeling empowered to do so. In a lot of occasions, when I walk into a meeting, um, I will uh, I will immediately be perceived as, well, she's probably just an analyst or she's probably just well, I don't know, a secretary, but um, one of the one of the instances where I felt really empowered is actually um, in my latest trip to the Middle East. I was um, sitting in a in a big conference room with three major carriers in the Middle East and infrastructure providers, and uh, you know, from from the first moment um, in a full job, everybody paid attention to every single word I was saying and wasn't where they were engaged. They were participant to the extent that um, they probably, you know, there was probably a, an area of uh, a focus of uh, a higher interest of focus just because um, I was prepared and I was delivering the right information to the right audience and the right tone with the right cultural sensitivity. And I think that prevailed over anything else, including me being again a woman in minority in a in a uh, in a Middle Eastern country. But I would I think it was empo- it was very I felt very empowered because despite all of that, they were sort of very uh, open to listening to me, and I think that that shows a sign of of progress worldwide. I think that that story really touches on what I was 
trying to get at when asking this question, right? Because I, I clearly wanted to frame it in a positive way, not, not a negative way. There's, there's something that feels good or satisfying about delivering beyond somebody's expectations of who you are and, and proving somebody wrong. And I think that can feel very cool and kind of like a, you know, like a badass empowering thing. So um, I think that story really illustrates the power you can get from being the underdog, quote unquote, or someone they don't expect to be the authority in the room. Okay, so moving into why you are really here, how would you say that the telecom industry is currently approaching sustainability? And has that approach changed in the past few years? And if so, how? Yeah, a really good question. So I would say when I first started the company in 2018, the industry had some indication that they wanted to include sustainability as part of their agenda, though they didn't quite have a, have a specific framework or guidance or structure to do that. Um, over the past two years, that mentality has really shifted into a framework that is scope one, two, and three of the GHG goals around um, kind of sustainability and emission reduction uh, framework with the sort of science-based targets that almost every single operator is now uh, is now applying, and that came from pressure from shareholders, pressure from limited partners and pension funds that are requiring uh, big consumers of, of energy and therefore emitters of, of uh, or emission emitters or pollution emitters become uh, more conscious about what they're doing. There's still a lot of customers that we work with today that are trying to figure out what does that what does that framework uh, mean for them, uh, whether that's planning for it, execu executing it, staffing for it is a big issue. And so there's some companies that already have a sustainability team. That sustainability team, though, is not fully dedicated to that practice. Probably 20% of the customers we work with have a fully dedicated sustainability team. And they, the, the approach that they take in the past has been very much, this is what I've done in the past, and therefore I'm applying it, but I'm just measuring uh, and being more conscious about how do I measure the metrics where, uh, and I think where we need to go is for, uh, for our customers to understand their baseline, to understand the data that they have uh, available to them so that they can plan better. And so it starts off with data and then it starts, and then the second step is a plan based on the assets that they already have uh, that they already own. And then, uh, and then from that, it's an actual execution plan uh, and then a partnering with the right teams, partnering with the right vendors, with the right, uh, with the right service providers, whatever it may be, and then empowering them to, uh, to become partners in this journey of transitioning into renewable energy or into lower carbon uh, assets. When some of our customers look for uh, for service providers or vendors, uh, they typically want somebody who's going to be the ESG partner, who's going to help them navigate, quantify, and really provide the best solution for what they're looking for. Um, and that's a that's a summation of three different things. Obviously, for for infrastructure providers, reliability is still number one. How do I, the second thing is how do, how do they transition into a more carbon and into a less carbon intense 
uh, solution, uh, but yet keep their operational costs down, or at least our cost parity, perhaps even provide savings, which most of our solutions do provide savings from their existing assets. And then number three is, again, how do, I, how do they start implementing some of their practices into their network? I think they're looking for somebody uh, to help them navigate uh, in that, that, that journey, because it is a different way of approaching the same problem that they've had over the last 20 years is how do I effectively power my infrastructure and then how do I make sure that the infrastructure is reliable, it's safe, and then it operates without issues. Yeah, and let's talk a bit more about cost and, and partnering with, with the right companies and vendors to, to keep costs low because sustainability and the need to address it aside there's also this very real narrative that it can help operators cut costs. Um, they can save money, with, which is great because it's another incentive for them to actually take sustainability in, you know, improvements and matter seriously. So there, there's good things there. So tell me about the energy as a service model. Like what is it and what makes telecom a good candidate for, for this model? Yeah, it's a really good question. So uh, energy as a service model is the concept of a vendor and a customer partnering up for in signing a long-term contract where effectively for the customer, there is zero investment on the hardware, zero investment they want. And instead they then uh, sign a you know, contract for X amount of time that, um, that satisfy the, satisfies the requirements, effectively a monthly fee that they pay over time. Um, that way they avoid any type of CapEx commitments up front. And additionally, there is, so there's no money up front and there's a monthly fee that is ideally below what they're currently, what they're currently paying. And the reason why that could be below what they're currently paying is because we're moving away from traditional sources of, of power, whether that's fuel or a high cost of electricity or high uh, cost of operating the, the existing assets, uh, we then offer savings on top of it, the OPEX. So for, for any customer, it's sort of a win-win situation because this means that they have to invest no money up front and they're getting savings from day one. And the reason, uh, one of the main reasons why it makes sense for this industry is because this is an industry, well, the infrastructure or telecom infrastructure industry is uh, one that's number one, very ripe uh, for, for this kind of model, not only because of the transition into renewable energy, but because the model is, is, is really conducive to operating, uh, operating a contract that's long-term that is reoccurring and also that uh, that uh, has reliability and flexibility at the forefront of the way that the contract is is effectively structured. And so it is um, it is uh, when you when you introduce renewable energy into into infrastructure, it's uh, it's typically a site uh, location that you're not moving around, but it's a location that's in place mm -hmm. and it's going to remain in place because it provides uh, it provides coverage in this specific region. Right, that, that all makes sense. So how is your company working to bring this model to scale? What goes into to doing that? With, with customers, we try to work with them on a regional basis. So we partner with them and then try to bring services to each individual country. So today we're operational in 11 countries. 
And when we go into a specific country, we have a minimum number of sites where we will invest into the infrastructure. Uh, and when I say infrastructure, this is really the billing cycle, the operation and maintenance, the network operating center, et cetera, to bring these services. Uh, we'll have a minimum number of sites and then uh, we will supply the hardware, the installation services, and then uh, provide the services over time that includes operation and maintenance um, in the network operating services to make sure that the, that the network is, uh, is, is reliable and it's providing for the KPIs of the contract. The, the model itself, we will bring capital, whether that's uh, through, uh, through, our, through our own company or through partners, depending on the, on the structure of the contract and depending on the location. Um, and also depending on the scale, uh, we can do contracts that are in a couple millions or we can do uh, something that's, that's a lot higher in the hundreds of millions. And so it just depends on the, on the country and it depends on the potential for growing into that country as well. Be, us being a manufacturing company, sure. we have the capability of also selling hardware directly, um, but energy as a service contracts have really taken off and it's, it's something that uh, we're currently very focused on. Great. I, I appreciate you kind of explaining all of that to me. And now when I have conversations about sustainability um, in the telecom space, 5G comes up a lot and kind of this, this almost like dichotomy is forming here where it's, I don't know if that's the right word, but it's almost like people say 5G is going to require a lot of power. So 5G and, and, and all these, you know, new cell site build out. So in a lot of ways, 5G <laughs> is not particularly sustainable. However, people then argue 5G will enable efficiencies in the network and will enable certain use cases um, like remote work that will cut down on uh, car emissions, all this stuff. And that will actually make it more sustainable. So I, I guess I wanted to get your perspective on what sustainability challenges remain for mobile operators more broadly, but also will 5G and some of these other advanced technologies in the space help address some of those challenges, or do you see the solution lying elsewhere? Yeah, no, really good question. And it's a, it's a convoluted answer, but the reality is like, it's, it's, it's very simple physics. You put more equipment on a site, it doesn't matter how efficient it is, it still is gonna require power, period. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whether or not that's efficient, that's a different that's a different conversation. You should have equipment that's more efficient to begin with, because yeah. that's that's where you're going to see the most uh, the highest really savings is first off make your equipment more efficient, and then second off make sure it's powered through renewable energy. That simple. There are sites that are standalone five G, and there are sites that are that are that have more equipment. So. Um, that uh, that still utilize LTE and 3G equipment on this specific site. And so we're powering the entire stack. Um, with respect to, I think with 5G, it's, it's your, we're seeing the instance where uh, there are gonna be more sites than traditional with 5G um, as a standalone, standalone sites, but traditional powers, that have other equipment are gonna remain with the spectrum that they're in right now or with the technologies, I'm sorry, that they're in right now. So is 5G gonna enable other things, things like um, faster latency for automotive cars, things like you know better coverage and, and better latency? Of course they are. Um, 
but overall as a summation of the entire industry because of the amount of because of the amount of equipment that's going up it's still going to require more power so yeah. as a as an energy company selling into the telecom world we we see that as uh, more power being required um, and and therefore we're we're addressing we're addressing the needs of doing that we also have a sort of a, this we also we also have the capability of providing what's called a non-priority load shedding, whereby we can um, automatically select what equipment we want to provide power to and putting equipment into low power modes if needed. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things that we're developing and we've been working with some of our, of our own customers uh, on implementing. Um, and uh, I think we have found it, we have found that in some instances you want all equipment on and in some others things like uh, things, you know, in areas where you perhaps don't have a lot of traffic or in areas where um, you do have a power shutoff and you don't need to have all, all equipment on, we then can provide an ability to shut off the equipment. But in general, uh, you know, 5G is providing uh, broader services to uh, areas that require lower latency. Um, and, uh, and I think that we're just enabling a greener, more sustainable use of 5G. It's nice to have your perspective on that because typically I'm hearing from carriers and, and vendors who, of course, are highlighting the, the pros of 5G and don't really want to acknowledge that reality um, that, that we all know is there, <laughs> um, but they don't tend to talk about that as much. So it's nice to kind of get your perspective on the 5G power question. Uh, I mean, Alexandra, this has been really great. So I appreciate you taking the time to come on here and, and talk to me about this. Great, well, thank you so much for having me. Anytime. Well, Technically is an Arden Media production. For advertising inquiries, contact Danny Miller at dmiller at ardenmedia.com.